I wonder if you've ever met a teenager. Have we got any teenagers here tonight? Any? Okay, five. Fantastic. You know, there, you know, when you think about teenagers, there is, uh, there's a lot of things that you could mention. And I think one of the, the main things that characterize, characterize, it's been a long day, it's been a long week, it's been a long life, guys. But one of the main characteristics of a teenager is the unquenchable hunger they have. I mean, teenagers can eat. They can eat and you feed them and there's not enough food and they keep coming back for seconds and thirds and fourths, making their way through the fridge and the cupboards and the noodles and everything else that there might be available. Can I get an amen? amen. Unquenchable thirst. Truth is, truth is, I think there's a lot of spiritual teenagers here tonight. Spiritual teenagers, meaning that there is an unquenchable thirst and... I think tonight I want to I wanna just talk a little bit about contentment, learning to be content, learning at some point to go, I'm good, I'm good. You know, because otherwise, if we don't learn in our lives that there is such a thing as being satisfied, to actually be able to go, hey, I'm good, <laughs> you know, I'm good, we can be caught in this race of constantly pursuing to get more. Because you start out saying, hey, I just want a little bit more. I want a little bit more. And now it becomes, I want more than. And then finally it becomes, I want most. And it's just this pursuit after happiness. Now, the very pursuit of happiness is not bad as long as there is a sense of contentment in the midst of it. That we actually learn to be content with what we have and who we are. Otherwise, there is this chase after validation after security, after things from people that only God really can give you. This is when we find ourselves taking selfies and looking for the greatest filter in order to be validated from complete strangers. Now, you know, calm down, calm down. Like, it's going to be a good message tonight. But, you know, it's when, you know, we, we, we work long, long hours and we haven't seen the family for months, but we're doing it for the family. But really, what is it? What, what's, what's, what's the motivation? What is the driving force behind what we do? And it's the, whole, you know, it's the whole saying that we spend what we don't have on things we don't need in order to impress people we don't even know. We find ourselves caught in this race. And so often it's fed by insecurity. It's fed by greed. And insecurity and greed are those two things that are just never satisfied. You'll never have enough. Never. Greed never has enough. Insecurity never has enough. Now, the, the solution to this is not to go to the other extreme of now you shouldn't have ambition and you shouldn't go after things and you shouldn't pursue things. That's not the other. That's, a, that's also a very bad extreme. You know, we, we, we're part of a church here where we are believing that God has called us to lead and impact in every sphere of life. So whether you're in the business world or entertainment world or, you know, the, the athletic world, whatever world you find yourself in, we believe that God's hand can be upon you. We believe that you can lead and you can impact and you can make a difference and you can set the bar in that area. But what is the motivation? Because the ambition in itself is not the problem. It's the lack of contentment that is. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, we often hear, you know, people say, you know, like, oh, money, money is evil and money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. You can have money. Just don't love it. Like, like steward it. Do well with it. Be wise with it. Just don't love it. Don't attach your love to it. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. We say things like, oh, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's like, no, no, no. Money and power, it doesn't corrupt as much as it exposes and amplifies who we are. You know, we say like, oh, you know, you know this power and whatever. But if you are poor and you have no money, but you're a good person, you know, just because you get money doesn't mean you become evil. You know, if you were good before, you'll be good after. Now, if you were evil before, you will be evil after. Because, you know, money has no moral value. You know, it's not like, ooh, this 10 corona coin feels evil. <laughs> but this one, this feels nice, you know. No, money doesn't have a moral value. The moral value of money, of power, of influence is whatever we attribute to it from the person who holds it. Some money in the hands of an evil person can obviously cause, you know, corruption and a whole bunch of stuff and, you know, selfish desires and selfish pursuits. But money in the hands of a good person can be great blessing, can help people in Beirut, can buy a church a building, can, you know, be a blessing to people around you to help where there is a need, can extend blessing to people around us. This is why we have to learn the art of contentment that being happy and satisfied in whatever season you might find yourself in paul he writes in in the letter to the philippians now he writes it from a jail not a scandinavian jail a roman jail okay big difference philippians chapter 4 verse 11 he says this from a jail i'm not saying this because i'm in need like you're in jail but okay for i have learned to be content Whatever the circumstance, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and every situation. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be amazing to learn the secret of being content in whatever situation I might find myself in? Imagine just being content before you go to the job interview. Imagine the confidence you'll walk in with. You're not walking in like some desperate deer caught in the headlights of a truck. No, you're walking in with a sense of contentment. That you might not hire me, but it says nothing about my value as a human being. I'm content with who I am. Imagine just being able to celebrate what you're doing without having this need to constantly being validated from people around you. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's Philippians 4.13. You see it sometimes on boxers shorts. You see, not boxers shorts, at boxers shorts. <laughs> it's like, why do you see people's boxers shorts? That's weird. 
you know, but like we, we turn this verse into like this verse that we quote when we're on our way to the gym. Come on, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not the context. The context is I can do every season. I can do seasons of a little. I can do seasons of a lot. I'm content in any I can do all seasons through Christ who strengthens me. Problem is that we make too much of loss and gain. We make way too much of when we lose something and when we gain something, which is why I've said so many times before, be humble in seasons of gain and be hopeful in seasons of loss. Like, there's nothing wrong with you gaining a lot. It's okay. Like, that's amazing. You know, well done. You know, good and faithful servant. You're doing well. You're being wise. It's okay to gain a lot, but just be humble about it. Just recognize, hey, God gave you that ability. Be humble about it. And if you're in a season of loss right now, just be hopeful. You know, learning to be content in whatever season, to be satisfied in whatever season you're in. Hebrews 13, 5, and then we'll preach. We're still in the intro. It's one of those long entrees. You know, when you go to those restaurants, like three entrees. It's like, come on, just give me some, some food. But Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. It doesn't say keep your lives free from money. You're not going to be able to pay the bills, <laughs> okay? So it doesn't say that. It says keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. All right, so how do we learn to be content? How do we learn to be satisfied no matter the season that we're in? Can we talk about it? Yeah. All right, I want to I just give us a phrase, and the phrase is the title, and it's actually all my points, okay? So it's, it's kind of like an all-encompassing phrase. And this is the phrase, I am loved greatly by a faithful God. I am loved greatly by a faithful God. God. Can we say that together? I am loved greatly by a faithful God. Come on, overflow. Can we hear you? I am loved. Yeah, love it. I am loved great, greatly by a faithful God. And these are my points. Point number one, I. Point number two, and. Point number three, loved. Point number four, greatly. Point number five, faithful. And point number six, God. Let's go there. I. Everybody say I. I am loved greatly by a faithful God. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to believe for something good for someone else than me? You know, it's like whenever you think of something, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, nothing good ever happens for me. And, you know, that's cool, but, I, like, I'm happy for you. But we got to learn. No, no, I'm talking about you. You are loved. I am loved great, greatly. You know, we can easily, yeah, he's loved, she's loved, the front row is loved, overflow is definitely loved. You know, they're loved greatly by a faithful God. But tonight, I want you to realize, no, you are loved. As in, I am loved. I am loved greatly by a faithful God. Because we are so quick to make excuses why this message doesn't apply to me. We're like, great message, but, and then we, then we highlight something in our lives that we think disqualifies us from this message, disqualifies us from this love. Why? Well, because the rest of us are seeing you from the outside in, but you're seeing yourself from the inside out. So you know all the little dark secrets. You know all the things that you've done, said, thought throughout your life. And then you hear someone up here say, God loves you greatly. And you're like, great, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know my life. And if you knew, you wouldn't say that. 
But I'm here tonight to say, no matter what you have done, you are loved greatly by a faithful God. Not the person next to you, you. Not the person behind you, five meters behind you, you. You are loved greatly by a faithful God. So who is this love for? You. Me. Who's got access to it? I do. You know, in, in, in when, when Jesus, he came to, he came to earth, he, one of the, the groups he struggled the most with were the religious people. The religious people who, who felt entitled to everything. But Jesus didn't like him. And, he, and the reason why he said it to them, he goes, because you refuse to enter into the grace that I give you and you hinder other people entering in as well. At one point, he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And as he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, verse 15, that it triggered a response from the crowd. And one of the guests said, how fortunate, how blessed, how enviable it would be to be one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. And then Jesus does what Jesus does, and that is he told the story. He said, Jesus followed up and says, yes, because there was once a man who threw a great dinner party. How good are those people? And he invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servants to the invited guests. And he's saying, come on in. The food's on the table. Then they all began to back off. One after another, they made excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of property. I need to look it over. Send my regrets. Another one said, I bought five teams of oxen. And I really need to check them out. Send my regrets. Another one said, I just got married. I need to get home now to my wife. Fair enough. We'll give him a whole pass. <laughs> the servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and he told the servant, quickly get out into the city streets, the highways and the byways. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits, come on somebody. All the homeless and the wretched that you can lay your hands on, elbow on, pre-COVID, you know, and bring them here. The servant reported back, master, I did what you commanded and there is still room. The master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get as much as a bite at my dinner table. Man, I love the heart of God. The heart of God is not that it's exclusive. The heart of God is not that this is for the spiritual elite, that this is just for a few elect. No, it says, go out everywhere. I want my house full. I don't care what you need to do. Drag them if you need to. I need my house full. This is for the whosoever's. This is for the whosoever's from the faceless to the famous. Every single person has been invited. You might be here tonight because someone dragged you along. Someone has invited you so many times and now you feel like you've been dragged along. Let me just give them an, ex you know, an excuse them for a moment and say it is pure love. It is pure love. They, they, they know that we serve a God who wants his house full. Because he, this is for whosoever. Everybody say I, I am. I am loved greatly by a faithful God. Not I was loved when I was doing really well and had everything right. Not one day I will be loved once I've fixed all my issues. I stopped doing all the wrong things. I start doing all the right. Not one day when I start reading my Bible again. Not one day when I join a team. Not one day when all, no, no, I am. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. No, today I am loved 
greatly. I am. Man, every single Sunday, I would have someone come up after a service and, and explain to them why the message doesn't apply to them. Man, you don't know what I've done. And it's like, man, can you, can you hear yourself? The love of God, it is present. It is right here and it's right now. You can be a second after your worst mistake in your life and you can still declare, I am loved greatly by a faithful God. It's not based on what you have done or what you haven't done. It is based on His love for you. And we serve a God that when He is described, it says God is love. I am loved greatly by a faithful God. Romans 8.37 it says, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. Not he loved us, he one day will love us. No, Jesus loves us. And I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living, nothing dead, nothing angelic, nothing demonic, nothing today, nothing tomorrow, nothing high, nothing low, nothing unthinkable, nothing thinkable, absolutely Nothing, nada, nilch, insert can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. So I'm convinced there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. You are loved greatly by a faithful God. I am loved. Not one day I will be. No, I am loved greatly. By a faithful God. Everybody say, I am loved. Now this is where it gets a little bit personal. Let's get personal, personal. You know, it's interesting that churches like ours, one of the things that people get a little bit mm, about is the emotions. It's a little bit overwhelming, isn't it? If you're, if you're a first-time visitor here tonight, you're a guest, I got you, okay? It's a little bit overwhelming. Would that be the word? You guys are into it. Like as an into it, into it. Like I've heard about you Hillsong guys, and I've heard that you like to sing, but like you guys are like hands in the air, like you just don't care. Like you are, you're into it. And, you know, I, I was talking to one of my friends once, and he goes, I said, what do you think about church? And, you know, he'd been here for the first time, and he goes, it was good. Like, he's like, you're good. I was like, yeah. I know, like, that's not what I'm asking, but please tell me more. No, no, he goes, no, 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 that's what, but he goes, the music bit, he goes, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like much, because it's almost like you guys are like, you know, it's like you're worshiping. Well, well, we, well, we are, it's, it's not like, like, we actually are worshiping. The challenge is, and, and, you know, when, when I talk to friends that are unchurched and, you know, not part of this and they're new to this, it is one of those things that when you start talking about loving God, that people get a little bit like, whoa, <laughs> like, whoa, like, I'm already weirded out by you saying you're going to church every Sunday. <laughs> now you say you love God. And then we say, no, actually, God loves you too. It's like, Whoa, whoa, just back up there, partner. Like, it's like, it gets a little bit in your face because it doesn't fit our framework that there is a God in heaven that actually loves us. But this is the part of our tradition as a Pentecostal church we should never be ashamed of. 
I mean, the whole tradition we are part of is that there was an upper room and that after Jesus rose from the dead, that there was 120 disciples that were gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came down. And we believe that God has been led out of the box. He has been led out of heaven and he has come down on earth and that we can actually have a relationship with God through the word, through prayer, through church, and just one-on-one, that there is actually a relationship with God. It is the main difference between religion and relationship. You see, religion is humans trying to get to God. And we do it by good deeds. I read my Bible. You know, I I pay some protection money against angry mafia God. You know, I, I do all these things, and maybe I would have done enough that God goes, you're good. But we realized we couldn't do anything nearly enough that could, you know, outweigh all the bad stuff we had done. But God, he didn't reject us. No, he says, you know what? You guys are not going to do this and you're going to die trying. So I'm going to come down. And so Jesus came down and he met us where we were. He met us and he loves us the way we are. And we can come to him as we are. And he lifts our lives Uh, That is the difference between a religion and a relationship. So when you look around and you go, man, you guys are full on. No, we're just super grateful. We're just super grateful that there is a God in heaven who loves us the way we are despite all of our flaws and mistakes. You need to hear tonight that God is not angry with you. God is not out to judge you. God is not out looking, you know, from heaven. He's just waiting. He's like, got like this lightning bolt, you know, spear ready to smite you, you know. No, God is not a judge and we are like the convict, like the guilty convict. And that's not how we relate to him. We relate to him like a child would relate to his mom or dad. That yes, there is discipline and yes, there are, are, are things that we figure out along the way. But the main thing is the relationship that there is a relationship of love. Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, one version says, while we're still enemies of God, while we were still sinners, away from God, Christ died for us. Then he continues to go and go, you know, for a good person, you might lay down your life. But, but God showed his love to us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Isn't it interesting that we think that we can do something wrong that disqualifies us from the love of God when God showed us his love before we were even born? He died for you before you were even born. Well, like how much weight does that put on what you have done and what you do now? Pretty much, you know, zero. It doesn't mean that we take it for granted. It doesn't mean that we just feel entitled to it. But we got to understand the love that God has for you, the love that God has for me, it's not based on what I do for him. It is what is called unconditional love. Now, unconditional love means that there is nothing you can do that makes God love you less, and there's nothing you can do that makes God love you more. He just loves you. Man, he's just, he just loves you. I am loved greatly by a faithful God. Can you say, I'm loved? Come on, say it like you mean. I am loved greatly. Greatly. You're loved greatly. John 
chapter 3, verse 16, you know, there, was a, there was actually a time when we had these shops called Blockbuster. All you teenagers wouldn't know what I'm talking about. You might have seen it in a movie, but does anyone remember going hiring movies at Blockbuster? Come on, where are you all at? Okay, all the 30-plus crew. Now, Blockbuster was this magical land. It was like an uh, Apple store, but like in a shop. And, you know, so you had to go there, and you had to, like, be kind and rewind. And if you, uh, if you were, like, really nice, or if, like, your parents, they, they said, I remember the day my parents bought one of those, uh, you know, VCRs that had, like, the turbo rewind. Do you remember that? Did anyone have those? And it was like, wee. And then it always slowed down. And it's like, ah, that's enough. You know, you go down there, and then you, like, give your ID, and you're like, yeah, I'd like to hire some movies. It's like, no, these are fine. It's like, no, great. And, and then you'd have to have a password. And it was not, like, electronic. You just had to say a password. People were like, how old are you? All the teenagers were like, ugh. But you, you would say a password, and they would, like, look it up on their little Commodore 64. And they would go, you know, what's the password, Thomas? And then... You know, I was a little Christian nerd, and in Hanning, you know, the Bible Belt, and, and so I would say my password is John 3.16. You got to use what you got, you know what I'm saying? And I remember one time I went to Blockbuster, and I went to hire a movie, and, and they go, what's your password? And it keeps you accountable as well. You know, you, you, you're throwing a Bible verse out there. And so I'm like, you know, what's the password? It's John 3.16. And she full and rattled it. She goes, you know, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes, you know, they will be saved and not, not perish. And I'm like, and have eternal life and not, be, and, and not perish. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, how did you know that? She goes, I think she thought it was a quote, like a poem or something. Because I said, how, like, do you know verse 17 as well? She goes, verse? Is it a verse? I'm like, yeah, it's a Bible verse. And I'm like, verse 17 is pretty awesome as well. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, this whole context is, it says, for God so loved the world. For, it's a connecting word. And it connects with this whole idea of how do we get eternal life? How, how do we get it? Like, what, what is this eternity? Well, the eternity is based on that God so loved the world. I mean, this would have shocked the audience of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to like this Jewish crowd. And they believed that the salvation was only to a certain people group. And with, even within that people group, it was only the religious, those who obeyed the law and did the right things and didn't do the wrong things. And now Jesus steps in and he goes, guys, for God so loved the world, cosmos, everything. God so loved the world, all inclusive, not just for God so loved this people group. For God so loved these individuals. For God so loved those who got their lives together. No, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I love that he throws it in there, that he doesn't just say God loved the world. No, God so loved the world. Why? Because you are loved greatly. You are loved greatly. And this wasn't just a sentiment. No, he backed this up with his own life. He goes, this is how much I love you. And he laid down his life. And you need to hear tonight, even in the foyer, even in the overflow. How come we can hear the kids so clearly in the morning? And there's like grown adults out there. Do you feed like sugar to our children or what is going on? For God so loved the world. You need to hear tonight that you are your loved. 
you have his full attention. You have his full attention. I mean, we, we have people in our world that we kind of just put up with. Do you know those people? Come on, you know, you work with them, study, you, you're like, oh yeah, there's Bill, you know. And you're like, you just put up with him. Like, you don't, like, you don't not like him, but you don't love him. It's just like, it's Bill, you know. You just put up with him. And I think some of us, we think that that's how God he is with us. He's like, well, I've got a planet full of humans, you know. Like, he kind of just puts up with us. Well, they're still down there, you know. And we just, we just like these ants that are just running around, and God now and then just looks over. He's like, yep, still there, still, still thriving, <laughs> you know. And now and then he'll do a little bit of like hocus pocus, and then he'll leave again. No, God doesn't just put up with you. God loves you. God loves, like, can I go so far and say God is in love with you? That you have his full attention. Like, I'm, when I picture God in heaven, I don't know how you picture him, but when I picture him, he's sitting like this when we sleep. Come on. Wake up. Wake up. And then when you wake up, God's like, he's awake. She's awake. Guys, she's awake. And then he just watches you. Not like scarily, like, like because he loves you. He's following like, oh, look at how she brushes her teeth. She's awesome. Like, and he follows you and he loves you so much. More than that, he actually knows what makes you smile. So now and then he'd be like, I did that. You know, for me, I'm a sucker about shooting stars. So every time I see a shooting star, I'm picturing it's God like winking at me. That's, so the other night, there was, a, uh, there was a meteor shower. I'm like, God's like up there just going crazy, <laughs> just loving me. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you know, because he, he knows what makes me smile. So he's like, pew! You know, shooting star, pew! And I'm like, oh. You know, why? Because God, he loves me. And some of you are like, you, you can't even think like that. You're like, no way. Like, that's like, it's not like disrespectful to talk about God like this. No, it's because you don't think you're worth loving like that. God loves you greatly. And you might say, but you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what people have done to me. You don't know, Thomas. You, you, you have no right to speak to me like this. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm, 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 I'm used. I'm, I'm, I'm a mistake. And you need to hear the truth tonight. You are not broken. You are not a mistake. You are not like any of those things. You are not a failure. No, you are loved greatly by a faithful God. Greatly. And isn't it amazing? The one who knows you the best is the one who loves you the most. He knows all those things that you're pointing at. He knows. And he's still the one who loves you the most. The team, you can come, you can come and join me. You are loved greatly. Everybody say, I'm loved greatly, I'm loved greatly. by a faithful God. He is faithful. He's faithful. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Knowing this is Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's so much better. But this is just who God is. Deuteronomy 31, 6. That is who you are. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. That's like opposition, enemies, anyone against you. Because the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, nor will He ever forsake you. Let's go to New Testament, 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. 
because he cannot disown himself. It's crazy. That's crazy. Because the way we do relationships as humans is that you hurt me, I hurt you. Maybe a little bit more. You know, if I'm faithless, you walk away. I mean, that's, that's, how we do, that's how we do life. I mean, God, He says, there's a better way. Like, be like me, God says. You know, love your enemies. Forgive those who hurt you. You know, but God, He says Himself, He goes, if you are faithless, I remain faithful. And you, you can't miss the next sentence. Because He cannot disown Himself. What does that mean? That means His faithfulness towards you is not based on what you've done. It's based on who He is. His faithfulness is not whether, oh, seven out of seven Bible reading, well done, little, you know, spiritual star to you. I'm now faithful towards you. It's not like, oh, he's being generous. He's being awesome. She's doing this. She's going to church. I am, you know, I'm loving this. That's not, ba- I mean, it doesn't say stop all that, but don't do it so that he will love you. No, we do that because we are loved by him. I don't read my Bible so that God will love me. No, it's like, oh, I'm loved by God. I want to know more about this God. I don't go to church so that God loves me. No, He already loves me. You know, that doesn't mean that I, I stop those things. You know, my children, I, like, I, I don't want them to do things for me so that I will love them. I already love them unconditionally. But then that love is being reciprocated by what they bring to me and say, hey, Daddy, thank you for loving me. I don't think I've ever said that, but one day, you know, you can only hope. <laughs> you can only, ah, oh, that hurt. That actually hurt for a little bit. His faithfulness towards us is not based on what you've done or not done. It's based on who He is. Isn't it amazing you love greatly by a faithful God? That means that when you're in the middle of the storm, don't wonder we can learn the secret of being content. No wonder that Paul could sit in a prison and be content. I mean, if I was Paul, I'd be like, Oi, get me out of here. Who do we know? Like, who can we call? I mean, I shouldn't be in here. God, I'll be quoting scriptures. Lord, you know, free me. You know, I don't know. I don't know what scripture I would quote if I was in prison. But I'd, I'd have time to figure it out. But, but Paul says, hey, I'm content. Why? Because I'm loved greatly. And the God who loves me, He's faithful. That means even though I'm in the middle of the storm, He's faithful. He's faithful in the storm. He's faithful in the fire. He's faithful in the battle. He's faithful in the sickness. He's faithful in the financial crisis. He's faithful in the COVID-19 season that we're in. God is faithful. Not because of what I've done, but because of who He is. I'm loved greatly by a faithful God. Can we say that together? I am loved greatly Can we say it like we mean it? I am loved greatly by a faithful God. Not by just anyone, by God. I mean, you're loved greatly by a faithful God, by God Himself. I mean, it's great to be loved by your friends. I mean, that's that's nice, it warms you. It's great to be loved by your spouse and your loved ones. That's, I mean, that's the aim. Two enthusiastic thumbs up. You know, that's great. But to be loved by God, I mean, He's over it all. 
he's in control of it all. I mean, that's like the one who's in control of everything. He loves me. Listen to what it says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul, he says, I do more than thank. I ask, I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear. And another version says that the eyes of your mind will be open, that you might see exactly what it is he's calling you to do, to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. Now listen to this. All this energy comes from Christ. That's Jesus. And God, he raised him from the dead. And he set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power is exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. No, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. God has the final word on everything. On everything comes him. The one who is in control, he is good and he loves me. I'm good. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know who. I don't know what's going on right now. But the one who's in control, he knows me, he loves me, I'm good. That's the secret. That's the secret of contentment. To understand that I, I am loved greatly by a faithful God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. All of that, all those promises all that power, all that energy, everything that God has for us is available to every single one of us. So how do we access that? Jesus. Jesus. I had someone ask me once after being in church a few times, he just goes, you know, you guys are like, like, like you're into Jesus like big time. Like you guys, like Hilson, you talk Jesus like a lot. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, why don't you like say God, like make it a bit more generic to this? Because Jesus is the door. You know, if you had a massive house and you invited people to a party, you know, it doesn't matter how big the house is, you still access through the door. And the door might seem narrow compared to the rest of the house, but if you would just go through that door, then there is an invitation to enter into this wide open space. And the life with God is a wide open, spacious life. That's how the Bible describes it. But the way in is through Jesus. Jesus, he calls himself the door. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to heaven. No one gets to the Father except through me. He's the key. All of the promises of God, the Bible says, are yes and amen through Jesus. He is the door. And, and that's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why Jesus is in all our songs because it's all about Jesus. But if you will access, if you will open your life up to Jesus, this is everything you're opening up yourself. You're opening up yourself to. Now, does He still love you even if you reject Jesus? Yeah, He still loves you. 
definitely. He still loves you. But it's like, it's like offering a present. You know, it's like offering your presence. Like, here, this is for you. This present is for you. He said, but I don't want it. Well, he's not going anywhere. You know, he's not like you and me. Where we, if we're faithless, we, no, okay, whatever. No, no, he, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. So he's like, all right, well, I'm still here. And the days will go, and the weeks will go, and the weeks and the months will go, and the years will go. And he goes, still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. All that's left for you to do is to accept it. 